In, in your seats or pews should be one of these little cards. Uh, if you could grab one, uh, plus a pen if there are enough to go around. Don't worry what's written on this side of the card where it says the comparison gap. Just ignore that, or trap. Just ignore that. It's the, it's the other side you'll need. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a question. might seem a little strange, but stick with me. If you could personally ask Jesus to pray for you right now, what would you ask him to pray for? Okay? If you could personally ask Jesus to pray for you right now, what would you ask him to pray for? And I want you to think of a word or a couple of words that captures your request. So, for example, finances, future, a relationship, job, health, a specific concern. But don't write anything yet, okay? There's no tipex, just score it. But we'll come back to this. But I want you to just think of, of a word that captures your request. If you could ask Jesus to pray for you right now. Tonight, uh, we finish our series on prayer called Conversation and Encounter. It's a series that's been running right through our 40 days of prayer. And during the next or during the past six to seven weeks, we, we've looked at a number of different prayers from the Bible. So, for example, we looked at Psalm 57. I think that was the first evening, which is David's prayer of personal lament and adoration. We looked at Jonah 4, which was his angry prayer that he offered through gritted teeth because he was annoyed at God who had changed his mind. And then last week, we looked at Paul's prayer of thanksgiving and intercession for the saints at Philippi. Well, to close this series, I want to look at one more prayer. And it is the Lord's Prayer, but not the one we usually call the Lord's Prayer, not the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, Matthew 5, Luke 11 prayer. Because as we've often said, that's not really the Lord's Prayer. That should be more accurately described as the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples to pray. And so tonight, I want us to turn to John 17 and listen to the alternative Lord's Prayer or to be more accurate, the real Lord's Prayer. It's page 1085 in the Pew Bibles. Now, this prayer... And, and lots of you will know this, it, it's part of or it comes at the end of what is generally referred to as the farewell discourses. Runs from John chapter 14 to 17, although some people would actually argue that it runs from chapter 13 to 17. Where during his final 24 hours, on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus speaks into the lives of his disciples and all subsequent disciples. And not only does he speak into their lives, but he prays for them. And John 17, 
records his specific prayer. Again, it's often referred to as his high priestly prayer. And in verse 1 of John 17, you read this, that after Jesus said this, which really runs right from chapter 13, after he had taught his disciples so many different things in the last 24 hours of his earthly life, after he had said all of that, we read that Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays. Now, initially, if you just glance down the first few verses, Jesus prays that his Father would glorify him so that the Father would be glorified. You see, Jesus, in a sense, starts off by praying for himself, but it's in a way that says, listen, Father, I I need you to glorify me so that you will be glorified in what is about to happen. Jesus was acutely aware of what lay ahead, that he was about to complete the work that he had been sent to do. And so now he commits himself, in a sense, into his Father's hands. And so that's how he starts this prayer. But then he turns his attention to his immediate disciples. But not just the immediate disciples who are sitting, listening to him, but all future disciples, which includes lots of us sitting here this evening. And so let's listen in, if you like, as as Jesus prays for those who are going to be left behind when he departs. And he also, as he prays for those who are going to be left behind then, prays for us who are left in this world whilst he is gone. And so what I want us to do is we often do a stand, but try to imagine you're listening to this prayer live and that it's current and it's for you. So let's stand together and read from verse six. Jesus prays this. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them 
for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into, world, into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Grab a seat. Now, it, it, is, it is an amazing prayer, John 17, right from verse 1 to the end, but maybe particularly from verse 6. There's so much in it that we could look at, although I need to say up front that it is a difficult prayer to get your head around, and maybe it is even listening to it. At times, you, you kind of get lost in exactly what is it Jesus is praying here? A number of people have said that the farewell discourses actually from John 13 right through to 17, particularly 14 to 17, are among the most difficult to preach in the entire New Testament. And that's because they are unbelievably, thoroughly, even densely theological and sometimes, quite frankly, metaphysical. Think about some of the phrases that we have just heard Jesus pray. Really tough Sunday evening to kind of engage with it, get your head around what Jesus was actually saying. So this is not a straightforward and clear prayer. But although that is the case, and I, I, I wanted to flag that up, there are some incredible thoughts and ideas that I want us to take away from this evening. And one of the most striking and significant is wrapped up in the language of giving that kind of appears in those first few verses that we read together. Have a look again at verse 6, where Jesus says, Listen, I've revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you've given me comes from you. For I gave them your words you gave me. In verse 14, I have given them your word. Both the Father and the Son. Here, here's one of the most incredible things about this prayer. We discover that both the Father and the Son are givers. Someone has referred to the mutual extravaganza of giving that comes across strongly in this prayer. We are on the receiving end of so much giving. 
a gracious God has given and gives us so much. And right at the outset of this prayer, as Jesus prays for his disciples, it's almost as if he's trying to get that across to them. Listen, God has given me so much. I have given them so much. I have given them your word, God. But also you have given them to me. So you have this mutual extravaganza of giving as the Father and the Son talk about this giving that is taking place. And it is really vital that we, that we do include ourselves very early on in this prayer because sometimes people read the first so many verses and say, well, those are, that, that is just Jesus' prayer for his immediate disciples. But no, because as verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone, but it's for those who will believe in me through their message, i.e. us. Those of us, and again, I realize that's most here, those of us who have believed in the message that Jesus passed on to his disciples who have passed on down through the years, which has been passed on down through the years. And so we find ourselves here this evening on the receiving end of this prayer of Jesus. It's not just for the original disciples. And what's more important is to recognize that Jesus has never stopped praying for us. He continues to intercede. As he, Jesus now sits in the presence of his Father, he's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's at the right hand of the Father, to use biblical imagery. He's at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for you. Which is one of the reasons I kind of started where I did. And so as you think of Jesus praying for you right now, what is it you would value prayer for? What word captures what you'd love Jesus to pray for you right now? Take a moment. Write that word down, or a couple of words. And then take that card away with you. But just take a moment in the quietness to write a word or a couple of words. See, I think it's an incredible thought to know that, that Jesus cares, that Jesus knows, and Jesus prays. And if we go back to John 17, and you continue to think about this extravaganza of giving, the key issue that Jesus wants to celebrate and what he's praying about is that his first disciples, like us, have been given to him by the Father, and therefore, we belong. We belong to Jesus. That is a core aspect of our identity. Many years ago, some of you will remember, Akaka, the, the Brazilian footballer, often committed Christian, wore this in below the kind of shirt he wore for either Sao Paulo or Real Madrid. And often when he scored, he took off his shirt to reveal this. And last Sunday night, we, we raised the issue of identity from Philippians 1, and we said that we need to see ourselves as saints and servants because that's how Paul describes us. 
Well, here's another sort of added dimension to this. We belong to Jesus. That is who I am. And as I said last week, if we can see ourselves through the proper filters, through this filter, then it will or it should profoundly impact how I live. So, here's our identity. We're saints, we're servants, and because we belong, we're safe, we're secure, and we're significant. And so Jesus is praying here for those who belong to him. And his prayer is is kind of very specific and it's very focused. But in other ways, it's quite puzzling. Because as you look at verse 9, some people are offended by verse 9. It jars a little. It seems at odds with who God is and who Jesus is and the reason that Jesus was sent in the first place. Because Jesus says this, I'm praying for them, I'm praying for the disciples, I'm praying for those who belong to me, but you know something? I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for the world. I'm just praying for those you've given me. Why is Jesus not praying for the world? Surely the whole reason Jesus came was because God so loved the world. And yet here on the eve of his crucifixion, as Jesus is about to die because of God's love for the world, surely it seems a little strange that Jesus only prays for his disciples. In fact, he specifically excludes the world. Well, again, let me just leave that thought hanging. And we'll come back to it in a moment as we continue with this prayer. But back to the idea of belonging. Because as Jesus continues to pray, he makes it clear that his disciples are in the world. So are we. But they don't belong to it. They're in it, but they're not of it, as verse 16 says. And therefore, Jesus' disciples don't conform to the world's values. Their ultimate loyalties lie elsewhere. They don't bow down to the world's idols and worship. They are different. Why are they different? Because they belong to something or rather someone else. So someone has written this. This is the primary thing that distinguishes them, that's disciples of Jesus Christ, from the world. Not in the first place how they live or what they do. And unfortunately, this this is kind of how we as Christians are often defined. By what we do or maybe by what we don't do. But actually, the primary thing that distinguishes us is who we belong to. We are God's people. We are Jesus' people. And it's this positive identity that is so important. So it's not a case of, well, I don't belong to the world, true and all that that is, but actually, I do belong to Jesus. And what I think is really important is that we emphasize the positive and not dwell on the negative. Because so often the case that we are identified by the negatives rather than the positive. We are in the world, yes, but we don't belong there because we belong to Jesus. Now, down through the years, 
as the church has wrestled with this idea of in and not off, and, and I know that many of you here, you've heard countless sermons probably on this whole idea that we're in the world, but we're not off the world. But down through the years, as the, as the church has wrestled with this, they've tended to go in one of two ways. Either so concerned with protecting itself against the world that it withdraws. It withdraws into kind of anxious, even sanctimonious, inward-looking isolation and even sectarianism. Or else so concerned to be with those outside the church that it compromises its calling in mere assimilation to the world. In Jesus' sort of parabolic terms, either the lamp that gets hidden under a bushel or salt that has lost its savor. Either so self-enclosed as to be of no use to people in the world or so assimilated to the world that we've got nothing distinctive to contribute. And that tension has been around for centuries as people have wrestled with this idea. What does it mean to be in but to not belong? To be in but not off? Well, let me suggest or re-echo the thought that the way through this dilemma is to remember that the church's identity lies in belonging to Jesus. You see, the way of Jesus, his followers, is or should be the way of Jesus. And so the Jesus of the Gospels that I read about moved freely wherever his love was needed, compromising himself in the eyes of the kind of holier-than-thou crowd, but he was also disturbing and attractive to others precisely by being so positively different to the ways of this world and the ways of the religious establishment. To belong to Jesus requires courage to be different. Courage to be like Jesus. But it's why, and this, this is the bit that is so important, it's why are we different? Why are we be, to be like Jesus? Well, it's for the sake of the world. It's for the sake of the world. You see, to belong to Jesus sets us free to be in the world where people need us, where God needs us, without succumbing to the false gods that so many in our society are enslaved to. And so we belong to Jesus, and that kind of clarifies my identity, clarifies our identity, and so we go and live in the world accordingly. which is exactly the place that Jesus propels us. And so in verse 18, Jesus prays, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for the sake of the world. Withdrawal is never an option. We have got to go and serve. 
We have got to go and live out this divine love for the world that moved God to send Jesus in the first place. And this is what actually takes us back and helps us to make sense of why did Jesus not pray for the world? And, and this, this, in a sense, is so important and almost like the, the crux of what I want to say tonight. This is why Jesus specifically didn't pray for the world. Why he only prayed for his disciples. Because you see, what Jesus was doing here on the eve of his crucifixion, as he's about, about to depart leave his disciples is he is entrusting them with his mission to the world. Jesus isn't writing the world off, but what Jesus is doing, he's saying, you, I'm praying for you now that you will go and be faithful, that you will go and make my love and the Father's love known to those who don't belong to me as yet who the Father has not given to me as yet. And so Jesus doesn't pray for the world, but prays for his disciples because it is them who are now to go as missionary people and share the good news of Jesus. People who now belong to Jesus, who now take the message of Jesus out into the world where we have been sent. And that is a privilege, but it's an incredible challenge. And Jesus says here, it, it's not going to be easy because this world that I'm sending you into is a hostile place. In fact, as verse 14 indicates, it's a place that's going to hate you. It's not going to be a walk in the park. But what Jesus does pray for here is not that Father, take them out of the world somehow. Isolate them. No, Jesus says, Father, as you've sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, but here's what I'm praying for. Please, God, protect them. Protect them from the evil one. And here you have an echo of the disciples' prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. You see, what Jesus is saying is, if you belong to me, you're not alone as you go into the world. My Father goes with you, and he protects you. And so one of the incredible thoughts is that as we walk out those doors in a few moments, and in a sense walk back into the world, we go as Jesus prays for us to the Father to protect us. But Jesus isn't just praying for our protection. He asks his Father for something else for us in verse 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, Jesus longs for us to be holy and to be truthful. That as we go, that we go as people who are set apart for living and loving that confirms who we belong to. To be people who are transformed by God's word, which as Jesus says, is truth. And so what God, Jesus is praying for God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
Help them to be obedient people, to go and live out your word. Protect them as they do it. Protect them from the evil one who is so set on making sure that they do live compromised, disobedient lives. But actually my prayer for them is that you would sanctify them. Make them holy, Father, through your word and obedience to your word. And it's an incredible prayer. But there's one more thing Jesus prays for. It's in verse 21. We're nearly done. And at this bit, Jesus is saying, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. And I know there's a kind of whole sermon in this, this in itself, but unity is so important. And it's one of the things we have been praying for during our 40 days and we need to continue to pray for. You see, in belonging to Jesus, it also means we belong to one another. And so we have got to guard the unity that Jesus prays for. Because we know that division not only wreaks havoc within the church, but it sends out totally confusing signals to the world. Thomas uh, Manton, a great sort of Puritan preacher, said this strong. Divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. And as Jesus prays here, it's interesting that he, he kind of expresses two critical purposes in unity. If you look at verse 21 again, he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so here's these two purposes that believers may be in the Father and the Son. And there is a sense of mystery, I know. I don't fully know how to explain that. But as Jesus prays for Christian disciples, he says, Father, may they be in you and me. And secondly, that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Christian unity speaks volumes. It communicates powerfully. And therefore, this is what is so tragic whenever Christian unity breaks down or whenever it's kind of threatened by our attitudes and behavior. And last Sunday morning, as, as we finished our 40 days and we thought about Nehemiah's opening prayer, we made the point that we have got to be available to become answers to our prayers. And I am totally convinced that when it comes to this prayer of Jesus for unity, we have got to be available to be the answer to those prayers of Jesus. That as Jesus prays that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one, that we've got to ask ourselves, well, what am I doing to either foster unity or to destroy unity? Not only within here, within a local church, but also amongst those others who maybe belong to different churches, but who ultimately belong to Jesus. We've got to be available to be the answer to Jesus' prayer. And so as we finish, let us 
celebrate the incredible facts that one, here's it all in a nutshell, one, we belong to Jesus. The Father has given us, again, mystery there. Why, why me? Why you? The Father has given me to Jesus. I belong. And it's that identity that then distinguishes us from the world. But the second incredible thing is not only do we belong to Jesus, but Jesus is praying for us right now. And we'll keep on praying. And in light of those thoughts, what Jesus then says is, okay, Father, here's what I'm praying for them. You've given them to me, they belong. I'm praying for them still. This is my prayer. But in light of that, help them to go and live in the world as holy and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ who stand together in true Christian unity. Because when we do that, we become the answer to Jesus' prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we sit before you this evening as grateful people, many of whom belong to you. We, don't, we no longer belong to this world, but we belong to you. And God, I thank you for that assurance that even right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for us. As we live in the world, and as we leave this church, and we in a sense go back into the world, which is a hostile place at times to us, which has a different agenda, which lives to different values, that doesn't understand us at times. But God, I thank you for the Son's prayer for us that we would be protected from the evil one. That we would be holy people who are obedient to your word and who are united. We stand as one to support and encourage each other as we live in this world. And so God, I pray for us as we walk out of here this evening that we would, each of us, be available to be the answer and the answers to your son's prayer. And right now as well, Father, I want to pray for that word or those couple of words that each person has written on their piece of card. That they would really love Jesus to be praying for them right now. And as they take that and maybe see it from time to time throughout the week, help them to remember that Jesus knows, that Jesus cares, that Jesus prays. And we ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.